With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And hello once again, everybody. Happy New Year and welcome back to an all new episode of the Hockey News on the Cube. It's 2023 and we have a ton to discuss. It's been three weeks and it feels like it could have been three years for all that's taken place. Um, my name is Will McLaren, along with me, of course, Jamie Tozer. And uh, joining us uh, tonight, uh, we have from The Athletic, Scott Wheeler, who uh, has uh, a ton of insight. Uh, he's been spending most of the time in our uh, province of residence, uh, now back home in one piece and uh, ready for... Uh, a few ready for whatever is coming up next in the hockey world. So, Scott, first of all, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was uh, a, a fun time in in Halifax and Moncton. I was in Moncton for the selection camp and Halifax for the tournament. I actually didn't make it to uh, didn't make it to to Moncton for the any of the tournament. Just sort of stationed in Halifax there, but enjoyed my time in Moncton for selection camp for the two U Sports games, and then. Halifax had a little bit too much fun, I think, and now we're just uh, recovering. I fly out, I guess, a couple of weekends, quick turnaround, a couple of weekends from now to Langley for the CHL Top Prospects game, and next Monday I'll be in Plymouth for the USHL All-American game, so uh, it's just uh, it never really slows down this time of the year, I, I don't think. No, it's right in the thick of it, that's that's for sure, and uh, so uh, I guess first things first, Scott, before we actually start talking about the tournament, um, was that your first or definitely your most extended time, like in the Halifax area? Definitely. Uh, I went once as a kid, my family, uh, we, we were the classic sort of RV family growing up, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So did a trip out West, spent an entire summer out West one summer in the RV with my folks. They used to take time off and do trips in it and did a summer out East. So we, we would have spent probably about the same amount of time. Well, maybe not, maybe not quite 12 days, but uh, probably five or six days in Halifax then. And then I'd been out once as an adult a few years ago out to Halifax. I've, my wife's got family out there and that kind of a thing. Uh, but never, never a, a two week, two week stay or close to it. So it was, it was a lot of fun just to get to know the city and um, had some great seafood and had some nice nights out and spent a lot of late nights in the rink too, obviously. And mm -hmm. uh I tried to have some fun, but it was also a lot of work. So no, no complaints. I thought the tournament start to finish was tremendous. The crowds were unbelievable. Um, the hockey was as competitive. I've, I've said this repeatedly on, on radio hits and that kind of thing in the last couple of weeks, but the hockey was as competitive at the world juniors as I've ever seen it. Um, mm -hmm. Depth in the tournament, despite Russia not being there. Um, I think had Russia been there, it would have been a truly, truly unbelievable tournament in terms of the level of play. There just weren't a lot of those sort of ugly world junior games. Certainly the Austrians had no chance. Uh, and there was one game against the Germans uh, where the Germans stood no chance. But other than that, the Slovaks were competitive. The Swiss were competitive. The Swiss led by Halifax's own, right? So um, it was, uh, Atilio was fun. He was a great storyline for the Swiss and 
the Slovaks were, were competitive and obviously the Czechs were as good as we've seen them in recent years. So it was, it was great. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there for, for the hockey and, and otherwise, honestly. Yeah. And, and, you know, props to uh, the, the Czechs, you know, uh, five Q guys, you know, to, to yeah. stay in the, the wheelhouse of the queue here, five Q guys on that roster, many of whom were of uh, impact really, you know, really Oliver Shatney, who uh, simply didn't place their goaltender. It was uh, great to see them win a medal for the first time in 18 years, but also do it with a, with a huge contingent of Q guys. Yeah. I thought Brabinich in particular was great spot check. I mean, he was on my all-star ballot. So it kind of goes without saying in terms of how I viewed spot check in the tournament, I really debated who was going to be the, the second D on my ballot after year check. And it almost felt like a slap in the face, not to give it to spot check just because spot check actually played tougher minutes, tougher matchups than year check did was more relied upon on the penalty kill than year check was, uh, and really contributed in a big way offensively. Uh, I, I think year check kind of got the shine because his offensive moments were, were the ones that they needed when they needed the most kind of thing. And he had a couple of big, big plays uh, late in games in particular, but I thought spot check was brilliant. And then Brabinich, that third line of Brabinich, uh, Halash and Strooch were tremendous for them uh, and really got after it on the four check were effective in, in every game that they played in. Uh, and they, they, I mean, say what you will about Yuri Kulich in the tournament that he had, he was also on my all-star ballot, but they would not have got there without that quote unquote third line. They really looked more like a first or second line. Right. So um, those two guys in particular were, were very, very good for that check team. Yeah. I, I got to admit my all-star ballot. I, I followed the stats I hate to say it. Uh, at the beginning of the day, I had I did have Spotcheck in as my second defenseman as well, uh, along with Juracek, and uh, I had Carl uh, Lindbaum in as my goaltender. But after Lindbaum got uh, lit up in the in the bronze medal game, I you know, kind of snuck in there a little bit and uh, made a bit of a switch, uh, put in uh, Suchanik in uh, for the checks, and mm. and uh, went with Ludwig uh, Jansen uh, on the Swedish team, uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think you could have made a, a really bad decision uh, with any of those four players in particular. Um, it's And it's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, and Jamie, you know, something to bring up for you, because you had a very unique experience here. You were actually living in St. Stephen, New Brunswick this time last month. You actually get to see Team Canada's camp unfold. Then you moved to Halifax over the holidays. So yeah, you, you just for probably this. followed Team Canada specifically just for this. Yes. You probably followed Team Canada closer um, from the stands than any of us. And do you have any insight on what you've seen from, you know, from those early days of camp uh, right up until uh, the moment the golden, uh, the uh, golden goal was scored? Yeah, it was, it was really neat to kind of follow it so closely and be so invested in the team and to kind of see it come together. Um, you know, the thing that kind of surprised me the most was that you have a team that's never played together before. Um, and the, you know, really that first day in St. Stephen, they had the line combination together and they really stuck with those lines, uh, for quite a while. Um, and it, it was kind of surprising that they didn't really play around with that much in the pre-tournament games. They really stuck with what they had. And then, you know, you kind of saw Canada struggle in that first game. Um, and then you started to see some changes, um so you know it's kind of interesting to see how the team kind of went through a kind of a, maybe a different bit of a of a th thought process than what we might see uh from a typical team like that um you know when i kind of look back on this whole tournament scott i'm curious what you think of this um 
I look back and even though Canada won gold, I don't know if I, I feel like we saw this team play its best hockey. I feel like there's almost a little bit more that I wanted to see from this team. What do you think of that? Definitely. Um, I had mixed feelings about this team, Canada. I think there was a little bit too much chatter heading into the tournament about how good they might be and how dominant they might be. And on the flip side of that, I was still a little disappointed until that, until that final game, frankly, uh, they had not had good contributions from just about anybody other than the Bedard line. I didn't think that any of their defensemen uh, were at their best. Owen Zellweger, who was probably the best of the bunch, although I think Brant Clark deserves more love for his play in the tournament when it mattered most. Um, Owen wasn't as good, as strong in this event as he was in the summer edition in Edmonton. I didn't even consider a Canadian defenseman for my ballot. Uh, and really outside of Bedard and Stankov, and I didn't consider anybody at forward for my all-star ballot either. I think Jonathan, uh, Joshua Hua certainly played himself into the conversation with his final two performances in the tournament and was tremendous in the semifinal and in the gold medal game. Um, but Dylan Genther, I didn't think was at his best. He, he was probably owed a little bit more. Shane Wright was certainly a little snake bitten and probably owed a little bit more. But none of those guys were at their best, and their depth guys were great in the gold medal game. Uh, they relied heavily, uh, and in the semifinal, frankly, it wasn't all the, the sort of Connor Bedard show in the semifinal, but um, those guys of, of Nathan Gaucher out of the queue and Zach Dean out of the queue, uh, they were effective in their roles. Certainly, I didn't have problems with them, but I don't think they ever really overwhelmed teams. Uh, Gaucher was, was really struggling with his puck touches, several chances that just sort of dropped dead on his stick because he couldn't handle passes or because he sort of bobbled the puck uh, when he had an opportunity kind of thing. Um, so that caught my eye with Gaucher Dean, obviously the, the ejection in the first game, and then things kind of got off the rails for him in that game. And uh, I thought he settled in actually quite nicely onto that line in his return, but uh, it just never felt like everybody was clicking and they were really rolling. And I think in particular, um, on defense, they, they just never looked settled. They, they tried to go big with that defense. And what happened in the end was when the pace got ramped up and they were playing talented teams that were getting after them on the four check, they didn't feel comfortable playing those guys. They didn't feel comfortable playing Nolan Allen. They didn't feel comfortable playing, um, uh, Jack Maytier. So it became a, a tightened bench. Tyson Hines out of the queue, I thought became a really nice story for them because he was the number, the presumptive number seven going in. And by the time they would shorten that bench to four or five, uh, which included Kevin Korczynski also sitting really by the time they shortened that bench, it, it was Tyson Hines rolling out there with Brant Clark and it was Ethan Del Mastro and, and Owen Zellweger. And, and even then I didn't think any of the four of those, except maybe Hines were truly playing their, their best hockey. So uh, it was a, it was a mixed bag for this team, Canada. They had to fight and earn it. They almost lost to the Slovaks. We'd be having a completely different conversation today about this team, Canada, if, Thomas Millich doesn't stretch out and make that glove save in overtime against the Slovaks in the quarterfinals. Right. So uh, they got, they got lucky along the way. They got big performances from a couple of key guys, mainly Millich, Stankoven and Bedard. Uh, and really outside of that, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest sort of performance for this group. If I'm being honest, uh, I, I would probably add Josh Waugh to that, to that conversation as well. Josh had a very, very good tournament and really was big in big moments uh, he's a gamer for sure. He was big in big moments in, in Edmonton as well. So uh, credit credit to Josh for his maturity and how far he's come. I was not that long ago. I was hearing about 
immaturity issues and him demanding a trade out of St. John to be closer to his family in Sherbrooke and uh, all sorts of sort of mixed emotions about how that played out for the Sea Dogs who were hosting them, who were hoping to host the Memorial Cup at the time. And just it was it was getting off the rails for him. And now suddenly Josh is is one of the best players in junior hockey and has performed for Hockey Canada on the biggest stage twice now. So uh, a lot of credit to Josh as well. Yeah, and you know it's it's it was almost like a repeat performance of uh, Edmonton back in the summer. Uh, Scott, uh, you know, Watt came in as the presumptive uh, checking line guy. They brought him in for that versatility, but uh, you know, and, and this goes to an overarching theme: if they lose, if they don't lose on Boxing Day, I wonder what the rest of this tournament turns into. Not just because, not just because of the fact that Millich was excellent in relief in that game, and they were able to ride him to the very end. But also, they had to rely on somebody. They had to do some form of shakeup, and the shakeup, of course, ended up as you, as we've already said, the promotion of uh, Joshua Waugh to mm-hmm. uh, to the Bedard line, and then moving Bedard off of the Shane Wright line, um, with, without having a couple of guys to rely on just from for the unforeseen, and to have them not only be relied on but to take those assignments up and Hines is the other guy and I'm not just saying it because this is the Q broadcast uh, I mean it, it was plain to anybody who was watching the games um, yeah. there were certain guys that had the trust of Dennis Williams and uh, obviously both of those guys already had the trust of Stefan Julian it's he's their everyday coach but the fact that uh, they could get what they could particularly out of Hines who was probably not expecting at the very beginning to play that many big minutes uh, that deep into games. And, you know, you talk about Millage and the split save. Well, if Tyson Hines doesn't glove down a puck with a few minutes left in regulation against Slovakia, again, yep. we're probably having another uh, discussion. Um, it almost felt like the two team, uh, those two guys in particular were handed an unexpected assignment and, Thank God it was them because they were able to run with it and at just the right time, an isolated instance, um, made the play that allowed Canada to, to uh, arguably advance as far as they did. Yeah, and I don't think it's just about, I think a lot was made for sure of of Stéphane Julien and, and the, the connection there to Sherbrooke where he's their coach and general manager and is as familiar with those guys as anybody. But on the flip side, you could look at Jack Matier and his connection to James Boyd, the, the general manager and team lead of Team Canada and the Ottawa 67s, and they didn't feel that same comfort going to Jack. So uh, it really is a testament to, to the way that those two guys performed in big moments. I thought there were times when Tyson looked like he was slapping it around a little bit and didn't look quite comfortable with the puck. He's not really all that comfortable with the puck in terms of handling it under pressure, crowded spaces, uh, that kind of a thing. But with the way he skates up and down north-south, he became such a valuable transition defender. He didn't shy away from the pace of the game. And then he could go back the other way and and really skate to to get up ice as well. And and he was quick in moving the puck and all of that. So um, it was a uh, it was a it was a good performance for those kids. And now those kids both. I mean, we we I don't know if we'll have time to get to it here, but there are really only. I don't know, Sherbrooke, Gatineau, Halifax, and Quebec, who I think have a, a real chance of, of winning the Q title and going to the Memorial Cup this year. And I'm not sure there's a team with greater odds, maybe Quebec, but I'm not sure there's a team with greater odds than, than Sherbrooke. They've got a really good thing going there. So those guys may get, may get another 
big game experience here down the stretch and into the playoffs and potentially out in Kamloops for the Memorial Cup. And Scott Sherbrooke has a couple guys from Czechia on their team. Um, yeah, nice of, moment in the handshake line there. Yeah, yeah, really cool, really cool. And, you know, we see lots of Czech players come to the queue. Um, you know, what do you, what, what's the deal with Czechia? You know, is this going to be just a one-off or is this going to be, you know, continued success for the next few years? Well, I think they'll, they'll they're going to hurt next year. And I was, I was looking over the returnee list and what they might look like in the upcoming sort of next age group that could join the world juniors for Gothenburg in Sweden next year. And, and they're, they're not going to be the same. Uh, certainly Edward Shalway is going to be back in a big part of that team, probably the star and the focal point of that team. Yuri Kulich is technically eligible to return, but I'd be surprised if he does. He's already a top player with Rochester in the AHL. And even if he's not with the Sabres in the NHL next year, I could see him in the situation that Simon Edvinson was in this year where he just doesn't go back because he's better served continuing to, to be a top player in the AHL. And after that, it really thins out. They're they're quite likely also not going to have David Yurichek back, even though he's eligible. And a lot of the other guys, the spa checks are going to age out, et cetera. So uh, it's going to be a tricky, tricky team for them next year. And I don't think this this age group is going to be indicative of a trend necessarily. The, the big five countries are still the big five countries. I still think that the Czechs are in that next tier with, with the Slovaks. Um, the Swiss and the Germans have occasionally had age groups that can push them up into that conversation, but I still think the Slovaks and the Czechs are stronger. But at next year's World Juniors, I fully expect that the Slovaks will be the better team uh, between those two clubs in terms of terms of the 2024 World Juniors in Gothenburg. They've got a really, really good group coming back next year uh, for Slovakia. And uh, that's even if guys like Simon Ed or Simon Nemec don't return. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching how, how this Czech group moves forward from this, but I would, I would expect that they're back to, to a quarterfinal knockout kind of outcome uh, in 2024. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people down here, Scott, who are already looking forward to you know, not only next year's tournament, but uh, whenever uh, uh, they can get the opportunity to host once again, because I think we've, uh, I think the consensus, there's consensus uh, in the press box and in the press during the tournament that uh, hopefully the uh, word has been uh, uh, put out loud and clear that uh, junior hockey uh, city certainly uh, bring the most life out of the tournament. And uh, we thank you, uh, Scott, for taking a few minutes of your time tonight uh, to talk about what was truly uh, one of the best tournaments uh, uh, that we've uh, seen and may see for uh, some time to come. So, Scott, once again, muchly appreciated. And, hey, come back when you can stay long. I will. I'll plan on it. And I, I am here with you. I am right there with you in terms of bringing this to more junior markets. It has – I've covered – eight or nine of these things now, and it just does not work in the NHL cities for whatever reason. So uh, I know Trois-Rivières and, and Quebec City, they, Quebec City would, ha would have a tough time, I think, selling, selling to capacity there outside of Canada's games and even for Canada's games because of how big that arena is. But I would love to see it in Quebec City and Trois-Rivières with that new ECHL rink in Trois-Rivières as the second, uh, second sort of host city. So there, there are options to bring it back out to, to French-speaking Canada or to the Maritimes in the future. And uh, I know that Winnipeg and Brandon wanted and Kitchener and London would like to have it. But uh, I think Quebec City and Trois-Rivières in particular should be right there in the mix. And uh, maybe if they go on a deep playoff run, which I think they will, 
uh, and they can they can pack that rink uh, for the ramparts. Maybe that's a, a selling point to Hockey Canada. Uh, it certainly wouldn't uh, hurt at all. So again, uh, Scott, thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up with you sometime down the road. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott. And a big thanks once again to Scott Wheeler for taking the time to talk World Juniors with us here on the Hockey News on the Queue. Um, one of two big stories uh, over the last few weeks uh, that uh, we have been uh, pers- that we and everybody else uh, around the queue has been uh, keeping tabs on Jamie. Of course, the other one's uh, the trade deadline. Um, yes. We have now passed that threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody is locked and loaded. Everybody's going to be locked and loaded. And uh, speaking of which, you know, five teams in particular that uh, have. Uh, made their uh, claim of uh, taking a run at uh, the newly renamed Gilles Courteau Cup this spring. Um, a number of them are not surprising. You know, Quebec, Cherbourg, Gatineau. Um, give me some of your general thoughts, uh, Jamie, on uh, what you saw those three teams uh, bring to the table uh, over uh, the Christmas season. Yeah, you know, definitely – Three, you know, you mentioned those five teams, and I definitely think those three, Quebec, Sherbrooke, and Gatineau, are the teams that are truly all in. Um, you know, Quebec finally got Justin Robita. The deal has been rumored for like five years, so that one finally <laughs> got done. <laughs> and they added Jeremy Langlois. Yeah, I think he was 13 when we first heard about him. <laughs> Jeremy Langlois is uh, another good ad for them. Um, Sherbrooke, I really like what they did. I think they needed some more depth, so I think they made some really good moves. Um, you know, Melanson and Bravenick especially are, are, are good ads up front. Um, and then Gatineau. Gatineau, I think, is one of the more intriguing ones just because we don't fully know what they were in the first half just because they played so few games with their full roster because of injuries. Um, but then to see them add, you know, um, Kidney, McDonald, Gender on front, and then uh, uh, a really quality overage goaltender and, and Frankie LaPena as well. Um, they look really good in the second half. And I, I, I'm curious to see which of these three is going to be kind of the, the team to beat in the second half, just because I think all three of them have uh, legitimate shots at, at finishing first. Um, and then you kind of have Halifax, Victoriaville, who I, I kind of classify as, as half in um, teams that are kind of more focused on next year, but they've, they've got a shot to kind of push it um, in the second half. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you know, talk about Quebec, Sherbert, Gatineau, you know, uh, specifically, you know, I think of a team and there, there always seems to be one team like this coming out of the trade period that, you know, they, to use that cliche, they are playoff built. Um, I actually said that two years ago about the Victoriaville uh, Teague. You know, I'm you know, not to pat myself on the back. <laughs> no, that's a good prediction. But, you know, they ended up going to the bubble and winning it all over yeah. a very talented Valdor team. Um, I, I thought even in 2018 with the Acti Bathurst Teton, um, mm-hmm. which felt like even more going out on a limb, but sure enough, they turned out to, to be a President Cup and Memorial Cup champion. Uh, and when I look at those three teams, the one that strikes me is probably Gatineau more than any of them. And I say that with a huge, huge, um, you know, but in the middle there, because it's very hard for me to not say Sherbrooke, just knowing how much of a juggernaut they have been defensively this Mm -hmm. year. And, you know, the old cliche defense wins games. Defense has been winning a lot of games in Sherbrooke. 
Um, and that's not and, – and neither one of these teams are the top team in the league right now. The standings, of course, obviously, the Ramparts uh, have that. Uh, you know, they just lost Evan Noss for a few more weeks, um, but he should be back for playoff time. Uh, maybe that makes them a little more dangerous, having a, a, a refreshed uh, top two defenseman enter, uh, much like Gatineau uh, experienced the same thing uh, um, during uh, you know the last month or so with their guys coming back from from injury. But I look at Gatineau, and you already mentioned it, uh, Jamie. You know, having uh, Frankie Lapena in there and just a very well-rounded group that plays a solid two hundred foot game. Um, and and the guys who you see on uh, in the acquisition uh, uh, roster uh, are capable of doing that. And you know, if I if I was to if I was to guess, they're the team that kind of sticks out to me uh, for sure. But not by much. It, yeah. It's going to be a dogfight in the Western Conference. But you know, Halifax and Victoriaville. First of all, if you thought if anybody thought we were going to be talking about Victoriaville as a top five team back in September. They yeah. would have they they would have canceled us after the first episode, <laughs> like and True. you know not saying that wouldn't have been the the wise move, but you know, there's a lot of other reasons uh, to cancel us other than that. You know, Victoriaville has certainly uh, uh, got the got the chops, and you know half a se- you know ha- you don't have a half season like that by accident. And then there's Halifax, of course, and I'll focus a little bit on Halifax here because we saw. The Josh Lawrence deal take place a month before the trade period opened. Of course, 20-year-old, he could be moved. And then they go out and get Alexandre Doucette. And that mentality of the Mooseheads wanting to stay consistently competitive at the behest of the ownership group, at the behest of the management group, looks like that's certainly what they're trying to accomplish here. But is it, like we said off camera, Jamie, flags fly forever. Does this get them a flag? Even if it doesn't get it, get them one this year, just get one, get them one next year. Yeah. These are kind of interesting moves by the moose. And, you know, I think they didn't, they didn't really address their needs. They kind of doubled down on their strengths. I feel like, I think their, their needs are more on defense and goal. Um, And instead they went and added, you know, two of the top scorers in the league. So um, an interesting strategy. Um, And, you know, I don't know if those are, great moves for next year. I mean, there's lots of time to, you know, adjust over the next year to put themselves in a position to be the best team in the league for 2024. Um, but yeah, you know, interesting moves. I, I'm really curious to see how they perform in the playoffs. Um, and you mentioned Victoriaville. I mean, they're almost the opposite team of Victoriaville. You look at Victoriaville, they probably have um, arguably the best goaltending duo in junior hockey. Um, and they're a team that I, I would be scared to play in the playoffs just because they have such, uh, such good goaltending. Yeah. And, you know, with Victoriaville, you know, I mean, they've, they've got to be looking at this as being just gravy at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, we had Carl Millett on here uh, earlier in the season. Um, the team has not slowed down since then, but at the time, you know, Carl's, mentality was you know we were a hard group hard working group last year um we just developed more you know we we developed further they made a couple of key trades even beforehand you know thomas belgard comes to mind immediately who's uh, out injured right now but he should be back in the next couple of weeks into the tigger lineup to uh, uh to solidify them even further but i think it's just you know that combination of of, of everything they learned last year they're putting it to good use this year and um Oh, I know I wouldn't want to face him if I was an opposing team. You know, you're always up for the challenge, but you know what? That is going to be 
quite a challenge. Um, and then when you throw in, you know, don't look now, but there's Ruan Naranda who didn't mm-hmm. really make any moves per se, but just on their own merit, you know, they, they've got points and I believe 10 straight at this point, nine, 10 straight and are an honorable mention in the CHL top 10. So not only are, are those uh, four teams out West uh, going to be uh, battling it out, but they've got this other team that's really not poised for a run for another year or two. Uh, that's going to take points off of them as well. It's going to be, you know, if you're, if you're a fan of just, if you have a non-vested interest in this league, I highly recommend if you're going to watch any games, watch Western conference games from here on out, because you are going to see some absolute doozies. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. You know, the Huskies have, they have mastered the cycle of junior hockey. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they won the Memorial Cup in 2019. Um, so they're getting close to being due again, right? So it makes sense that they're they're starting to contend again, and I would expect them to be even better the next year. Which is ironic when you put it that way, because, of course, what team did they beat in the Memorial Cup and the President Cup final? The Halifax Mooseheads, the team that's trying to be consistently competitive just mm-hmm. like that. And uh, meanwhile, here's Brian Randa just simply organically putting together this team. It's really a study study in contrast, and it's very interesting Very interesting to see how it's all going to play out. And it's also going to be interesting to see as we uh, t- get off of this topic here, what's going to happen this summer? Because we always know what the Quebec League draft is like. It's live and in person again, as we mentioned before Christmas, for the first time in three years. And the number of deals that are going to be the back ends of what we've seen taking take place this Christmas, the rumors are already out there. They're going to just intensify as the second half rolls on. It's going to be very interesting to see how that other side plays out rolling into 23-24. Yep, always, always fun at the draft to see kind of how – all these uh, these deals kind of unravel, and if you don't follow the queue closely, you probably have no idea what's going on. But <laughs> but uh, the queues uh, they've got an interesting trade set up, which is uh, uh, makes a lot makes the draft a lot of fun. Um, but I'll, I'll be curious to see kind of what teams who are kind of in that middle ground this year um, set themselves up to for a big run in twenty twenty four. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Like I say, nobody does it quite like the queue, and you know, we're going to see more of that this summer. Moving on to our NHL team profile, we're going to talk about a team that's not high on prospects related to the queue, but they're certainly getting contributions from the parent club in spades, and that's the New Jersey Devils. Um, there are no drafted players uh, in the queue who have been uh, selected by the New Jersey Devils at this point. Um, but uh, if uh, that's only because most of them are now in the NHL and producing quite nicely. There's a couple guys in the AHL that uh, are worth pointing out. So I'll say two things, Jamie, about Utica, New York. First of all, hamburgers are not referred to as steamed hams in Utica. Okay. Number two, they have been a longtime home of the AHL and oh. off and on home of the New Jersey Devils Farm Club for a few years the, the Utica Comets were the feeder system of the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. All of a sudden, the Canucks discovered, wait a minute, it's probably better if we do what all these other teams are doing and maybe move our operation more towards the West Coast as opposed to you know, Utica, New York. And the Devils have taken up a home there. And they've got a couple of guys in their uh, lineup right now who are contributing. Yeah, Samuel LaBerge and uh, Jeremy Grolo. Uh, interesting to see those guys. You know, not not necessarily guys who are, you know, 
big time prospects, but guys who, uh, who seem to be flourishing right now um, in pro hockey. So good to see that. Um, and I'll add Utica, uh, one of the best buildings in the AHL, by the way, if you ever get a chance to go down there. I'm surprised you've been there. Uh, <laughs> Shocking, right? For a guy who doesn't get out much, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm surprised you've knocked that one off off your list. And actually, Nad, you mentioned it. I think uh, I seen something. It was either you or a couple of other people that I know are uh, are rink addicts, such as yourself, say the same thing about it being just yeah, a it's phenomenal, great spot. Yep. Yeah. Um, the ECHL, there's three guys, two of them with connections to the Halifax Mooseheads, as uh, we've uh, previously dissected their roster. The Adirondack Thunder, former uh, hotbed of AHL hockey back in the day with the old Red Wings. They now have the Thunder uh, feeding the uh, Devils slash Utica Comets. Um, there's Jake Rychek, who was uh, a U.S. born defenseman for the Mooseheads for a couple of years. Yannick Turcotte was a left winger in the queue for a few years. And the, the most intriguing name there, and it's a name that, you know what, I think a lot of people would have been maybe a little bit surprised, Jamie, to see him more in the ECHL than the AHL, even at this early stage. And that's a former line mate of Team, team Canada hero, Joshua Wah, Xavier Perrant, who's in his first pro year. Yeah, really good numbers last year. Um You know, I guess, you know, maybe not that surprising to see him in the ECHL. I think, you know, some of those guys who are, or maybe not the most highly touted prospects in their career, maybe start off at a lower level. And there's a few guys on this list who, you know, put up good numbers in their Q career, but kind of put them up later, later on. So I think, uh, you know, maybe starting it a little bit out, out the pro level, a little bit slower, maybe uh, is a little bit better for them. And of course in the NHL, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a who's who, but it's a very impressive list yeah. you know, between Nico Heischer, uh, Dawson Mercer, a uh, couple of first-round picks right there. He sure, of course, being a first overall pick. Uh, Andre Palat is now with the team and just back from extended time the, on the IL. Uh, Ryan Graves and uh, the injured Jonathan Bernier. He's on LTIR but still in the Devils organization. So plenty of names that all of us remember from both the recent past and in some ways, in the case of Bernier, the uh, not-so-recent past as well. Uh, contributing in one way, shape, or form uh, to the uh, NHL Devils and the outstanding success that they have had so far this season. The numbers yeah. are really, the underlying numbers are re- have really caught up there, and they they are just on a heater this year. Yeah, it's funny that they have you know these are kind of you know big name guys. You know, Heischer, Mercer, Palat, Graves. Those are you know pretty big players for the Devils. Um, it's kind of funny that they don't have any current uh, prospects in the queue right now. Uh, kind of just yeah. odd how that works out. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, two quick things uh, that I'll add there. Nico Heischer, uh, the first year that I lived in Halifax was his lone season in the, in the uh, queue. Um, and if you told me at the beginning of that year that Nico Heischer would have been the first overall pick, I would have been very surprised. <laughs> and, you can never uh, doubt the Mooseheads import picks. No, nope, they, they find a way, exactly. Yep. Especially uh, in, in that specific era. Um, you Kind of that link between uh, Ehlers and Zadina, yeah. really. Um, the other one's about Ryan Graves, which is kind of not off the beaten path uh, story. Uh, of course, Ryan Graves was a highly touted Quebec League prospect. He was drafted, I believe, fourth overall uh, into the queue by the uh, then PEI Rocket. Um, but something that a lot of people wouldn't realize is he was also drafted as a territorial selection 
in the Maritime Junior A League there, the I NHL. I knew you were going to mention this. I knew you were going to mention this. Yes, of course, the, the story, the story, um, which is not really much of a story, but just kind of cute. Uh, Ryan Grace, who, by the way, very nice kid off the ice. I've dealt with him at charity events as well. And it's at one of those events that I asked him about this. Uh, I was actually part of a tele- uh, television crew uh, the year that Ryan Grace was drafted into the queue and into Junior A. Um the junior A draft was televised and he actually showed up, uh, did an interview with us, put on the jersey of the Yarmouth Mariners, who selected him as a territorial pick and said it was an honor to be drafted in the MHL. Everybody who was in the building that day who knew anything about junior hockey knew that Ryan Graves was not going to spend another minute in junior A. He was in the queue and places beyond which has, of course, happened. So about three years ago, I had the opportunity to ask him on a golf course, you know, Ryan, why did you show up? The draft was in Dieppe, New Brunswick. He, he was, it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive away from his home. Why did you show up? And that's when I found out that he and his family were going to vacation on PEI that weekend, and since they knew the Junior A draft was in Dieppe, they decided to do the courtesy of dropping in, have him put on the jersey, meet the team, and uh, do that interview. So uh, I'll say one thing. There's not a lot of kids that would bother to do that. But uh, uh, just kind of neat. And I think it says a lot about Ryan Graves. I can't say enough about him from a personality standpoint. But, uh, yeah, um, one of the the few guys who have ever been televised on a junior A draft in hockey history – Ryan Graves. Well, that's such a such a maritime story to stop and DF on your way through to PEI. Absolutely. Who doesn't do that? That's why, uh, that's why hey, Moncton exists, I, right? I uh, I lived in Moncton for 34 years. I have every right to call New Brunswick the drive through province. <laughs> Please stop and stay if you can. That is a complete misnomer, but you know, sometimes it's hard to shake those yeah, things. They all saw the they saw the ads during the World Juniors. Everyone saw. Absolutely. I want to go back to New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the 2023 draft prospect of the week. Um, we're going to talk about a kid who is a C-rated prospect, but I'm wondering if he keeps on the trajectory that he has, Jamie, for the last few weeks, whether that might change. And it's uh, Jan Spreiner. He is uh, with the Rimouski Oceanic. He's a right winger, uh, selected in the import draft this past year. And he has put up more points in the last six weeks than he did in the previous first two or three months of the season. Sometimes these guys take a little bit to hit their stride, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like Yan has hit his stride here in the last few weeks. Yeah, and he's someone who, it's funny we we're highlighting him this week because he really just popped onto my radar the past week or two um, on this maritime road trip for the Oceanic. Um, third in rookie scoring right now in the entire league and leads all rookies and goals with 17, so really good numbers. Um, but what's impressive to me is that he's putting up those numbers on a Ramuski team that, as we all know, is very defensive first, very defensive oriented, and also just overall, um, you know, pretty average team. Um, so to see him putting up pretty good numbers as a 17 year old, I think is really impressive. Um, and, you know, playing on a Ramuski team where he's learning to play strong defensively um, is also intriguing to me. So I think, I think he's a guy who uh, could certainly move up the rankings here uh, as we get closer to the draft. Yeah, and has moved up and down the lineup quite a bit uh, this season as well, trying to find his place. Um, and looks like the power play is one place where he's not going. He's not going to be vacating anytime soon yeah. up in Rimouski. So, no, uh, great to see him break out. Rookie of the month in queue uh, for the month of December. 
And uh, with that, we have pretty much run out of time here. Uh, it was a very busy, as we mentioned off the top, last few weeks uh, in and around the queue uh, and, and beyond queue-related stories. But uh, there's more to come here in the second half as the playoff push uh, really uh, goes into overdrive. And uh, I know I know about you, Jamie, but uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to is the first uh, – real litmus test for three of our contending teams as both Quebec and Sherbrooke make swings through the Maritimes. Yeah, these are, these are going to be phenomenal games. I think both you and I have the same game circled on our calendars that Thursday game, Quebec and Halifax and Saturday game, Sherbrooke and Halifax, Sherbrooke and Halifax. Those are going to be really fun games. A couple of world junior guys coming back to, uh, to Halifax very quickly. Um, but a really good test to see where those teams are at, but also a big test for uh, Halifax uh, to see kind of where they're at. Uh, a team that um, you know doesn't doesn't play doesn't play outside the Maritimes too often. So curious to see how uh, they perform, and they'll be doing it without uh, Zach Larue as well. Yeah, suspended three games uh, earlier today for a stage fight and throwing his stick on the ice um, to start the second period, uh, kind of as a form of protest. So uh, going to be very interesting to see how uh, that shakes down. Again, thanks to Scott Wheeler for taking the time to join us uh, earlier on the show to talk World Juniors. And we want to hear from you as well. Do you have any opinions, any thoughts, anything you want to t- comment on about what you heard in this podcast or if you just have thoughts in general that you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you it's at will mcwriter w-y-l-l-m-a-c-w-r-i-t-r and jamie tozer at at station underscore nation we'd love to hear from you so that should just about do us for yet another edition of the hockey news on the queue brought to you by bet mgm for jamie tozer i'm will mclaren and thanks as always to connor somerville behind the scenes we'll see you next week